You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Himalaya. My name is David O'Mill. The Orlando Magic were in town on Monday night. That's a team that's had Miami's number over the past few seasons, and it looked like it might be a similar outcome on Monday, but Miami was able to pull away, especially in the third quarter. They were able to keep a beaten up Orlando team from scoring the ball, something they don't do particularly well, and they wound up winning by a wide margin, 113-92. to It wasn't even particularly close in the fourth quarter there. Uh, you got to give credit to Miami because, again, this was a team that seems to have had Miami's... Uh, they have a good grip on how to stop Miami. Even the, earlier this season when Miami was in a roll, they went into Orlando and they lost to a team that's still below 500, uh, 21 and 27 as of today. But uh, Miami improves their record to 32 and 14, 21 and 2 at home. They only lost those two games to Los Angeles teams, so a good overall showing for them. It was an interesting game. Uh, Jimmy Butler returned to the lineup. Tyler Hero was back in the lineup. Kendrick Nunn was still out. Goran Dragic was back in the lineup. So. It seemed like it was fairly healthy, with the exception of Kendrick. Everybody else was available to play, and Jimmy did start the game. He wound up playing 30 minutes uh, despite his ankle injury. He wound up going 7 of 11 from the field for 19 points. A good overall game from him. Played some tough defense on Evan Fournier and others. Uh, Matched up pretty well with everybody there. He looked like he was aggressive and was able to get to the free throw line. His shot was falling, which was good. He did not take any three-point attempts. Looks like his confidence might be a little bit off, to be 100% honest with you. I'm not sure if that's he's just unwilling to take the shot or if he's just not comfortable doing so or if he thinks it might be a bad shot selection on his part. Uh, I don't think it's a question that somebody's asked yet. Uh, and I, again, I don't think that he's going to answer that whether or not his confidence is off. But he was a little uh, hesitant to pull up for the shot. But the story of the game really was Bam Adebayo. Uh, he, he came out really aggressive uh, with the shot. He finished 10 of 16 from the field, finished with a triple-double. 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, one of five players to have multiple triple doubles wearing a Heat uniform. Jimmy Butler being the other. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and impressively, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, the only five players in Heat history to have uh, achieved multiple triple doubles while wearing a Heat uniform. And Bam just looked particularly aggressive, as I said. And, and knocking down mid-range shots, spacing the floor in a way that he has not before. That was pretty impressive. I think part of it was the fact that Monday night was the first game that the Heat have played following the death of Kobe Bryant Sunday afternoon. Uh, you know, the news broke about Kobe's death and the death of the other passengers aboard the helicopter Sunday afternoon, right after Miami Heat practice had ended. And so uh, they really, I think that as a team, nobody had really had a chance to process anything. Eric Spolstra spoke before the game about what a fierce competitor Kobe Bryant was, about a story where he was working out with Rasul Butler, and as a younger Rasul had to carve out some you know, time on the court in order to practice and, and get some work in, he'd have to get there hours before all the other more experienced veterans would be out there. And when Eric Spolstra, then an assistant coach, took Rasul out to the floor, he was surprised to see that Kobe Bryant was there. Uh, Bryant was already putting work in, shot, and then afterwards went and sat down and watched Rasul Butler and, and Eric Spolstra, a young Eric Spolstra, continue to go through their work. 
and then afterward just offered some praise of uh, of Rasul and and preached that he should dedicate himself and continue to work hard and that he'll find a way to earn some playing time in this league and those are the kind of stories that we heard a lot of yesterday from players about guys who had played against him and guys that had been teammates with his, of his and he's just had a far-ranging impact in the league and even outside of basketball just the fact that he was going on a trip with his daughter and that several teenage age teenaged you know daughters were on aboard that plane uh, it's a, a tragic loss of life family members were, were greatly impacted there and, and surviving family members uh, will have to pick up the pieces there because that's a, a, a terrible terrible thing that happened on Sunday afternoon and for the Heat, I think, you know, Dion Waiters spoke about how as a parent, it's very difficult to go through those motions. I, I know I feel that way myself, you know, knowing that, you know, you're, you're, you're going somewhere with your child and then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, uh, a tragedy happens. And, and there's no way of preventing it. There's no way of occurring. But you, you're faced with your own mortality when you hear about the news about somebody like Kobe, who is only 41, who was only 41 and, and seemed like he was in the prime of his life. So the Heat wound up having to kind of put those feelings aside a little bit. They had a nice tribute for Kobe beforehand, videos throughout the game, and they did take a 24-second shot clock violation in honor of Kobe's jersey number uh, to start the game. But players were, you know, visibly shaken before the the tip-off, and and even afterwards, I think there were still some emotions there. You know, as Haslam was seen kind of wiping tears from his eyes as they were having a moment of silence around the arena for Kobe's death. and They were able to still somehow get through it, play a good game of basketball. The Magic had played the night before against the Los Angeles Clippers, and they had lost to the Clippers. Um, so they were already going through those emotions. I think for them, there was a good opportunity to kind of move on and, and, and start the process of, of moving back towards normalcy. But for the Heat, it was uh, an opportunity to kind of collect those feelings and, and you know focus them in, in a basketball direction. And Adebayo in particular seemed like he was really engaged. At, uh, I, you know, without ever having played with Kobe, uh, you know, he, he never played against Kobe. Never has based him on the court because he was too young. It was still a, something. I, I, it was clear that he was inspired by Kobe and his his performances, NBA career. And Adebayo again was a very very aggressive. So it was interesting to see There's a number of quality performances around the, the the team. Miami actually played very very well offensively. Uh, Duncan Robinson had 21 points. Tyler Hero had 13 points. Jimmy Butler, again, 19, and out of by with his triple-double. The bench struggled a little bit, but overall, Miami still shot 53.2%, 50% from three-point range, just 14 of 28, and 15 of 16 from the line. So they were hitting hitting almost all their shots. Uh, as far as the game itself is concerned, the pace was a little off. Miami started off with a big lead. Then it seemed like the third quarter would be a problem, and Orlando wound up pulling away there. They had a 20-2 run, I believe, at some point, and then Miami kind of tightened the screws defensively. They were able to break out the, the zone defense, and that kept Orlando's scorers from getting engaged. They had some inopportune offense there. Like it, it just seemed like the Magic didn't have any kind of real flow to their game um, offensively. They had Nikola Vucevic out there, who is a fulcrum of their offense because he's such a good passer and everything else, but his shot was off. He was just 5 of 15. He was being victimized by Adebayo on both ends. Uh, and, you know, without him being a, a real factor there, uh, Orlando's offense, which isn't particularly potent anyway, really seems to fall apart. 
Aaron Gordon was off. He was 6 of 15. I, I think fatigue was clearly an issue, maybe a little emotional fatigue as well. Evan Fournier, he's been a very good shooter this season, was 3 of 13. So Miami's defense was good, but I, I think it was mostly, I'd have to say that most of that was just Orlando missing shots because a lot of those shots were pretty wide open. This wasn't as a result of the zone defense or any particular scheme limiting what it is that they do. But interestingly enough, the Heat rolled up a lineup that was very reminiscent of a few seasons ago. They had Kelly Olenek out there. They had Deion Waiters, who did wind up playing in a second straight game. Goran Dragic, James Johnson. Uh, I think the one exception was Derek Jones Jr. But otherwise, it was very similar to uh, a lineup that we've seen, uh, that we had seen a couple years ago, uh, you know, where, where it was that team that went 30 and 11 uh, to close out that 41 and 41 season back in 2016. Um, you know, it was it was fun to watch that that lineup. Uh, they weren't quite as dynamic as they had been a few seasons ago, but either way, they were still good enough. Um, the bench was a little underwhelming, as I said, offensively in particular. They only wound up scoring 37 of Miami's 113 points. So, uh, you know, Goran Dragic was the most potent scorer off the bench, five of nine for 14 points. But even he didn't seem particularly aggressive. He was a little bit off, and and Dion was not able to reproduce. His uh, strong performance from the game before, he only wound up playing six minutes there, but at least he got some playing time, and it looks like he might be part of the rotation moving forward. Something that I'll talk about in the next segment, uh, because I think with this team returning to full health, and obviously Justice Winslow is still out, and Kendrick is still battling some injuries there, is a trade still in the works for Miami? I'll answer that next. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Obviously, trades are still on everybody's mind because, well, I think that's just natural. The trade deadline, it's just a week away. It seems like it's come up on us pretty quickly. And we've already seen some minor trades take place around the league. And I think when you look at this Heat roster and where they currently stand, it's a valid question whether or not a trade is necessary. We got this question coming in from TZA Mac, who asks, considering all healthy, all the, the whole team is healthy before the trade deadline, should the Heat keep the roster or they should, or should they look for a star, or will that mess up the depth for a playoff run? And then a similar question comes from Leonardo, who asks, "Isn't this season already over? After what happened for all the teams except for the Lakers winning it all for Kobe, maybe now no trades will make sense, and the Heat could test who will be there for the future." So I think there was a, a little bit of a, a language barrier there because Leonardo is from Brazil. And so maybe that question wasn't worded exactly. I tried to paraphrase it to the best of my ability. But I think that the angle for both questions still stands, whether or not trades are necessary here. To Leonardo's point, I think we can't predict that the Lakers are going to win it all. The Lakers do look pretty dominant anyway, but the Clippers look good. Milwaukee looks good. We can't underestimate if Philadelphia is able to tie things together uh, during the playoffs. And uh, I think you can make a case for Miami and Boston and maybe a couple other teams being able to sneak in there and make some damage. But either way, the the Lakers are not a foregone conclusion there. They could go through injury issues. Uh, They rely so heavily on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And if one of those players suffers an injury for whatever reason, and both, well, Davis in particular might be somewhat prone to injury. Uh, then it could be disastrous for the Lakers' title chances. I think the death of Kobe will certainly provide an inspirational motivation for them. 
but that's not necessarily a guarantee as far as the title is concerned. So uh, I, I can't really say that that's a factor in, in Miami's thinking. Nobody in this NBA is willing to throw in the towel because, oh, it's just too dominant. This isn't, even when the Warriors were at the peak, teams around the league were still making moves. Like, maybe you can readjust a little bit. I think even Philadelphia, while their process was probably a direct correlation to Miami's big three, I don't think it was necessarily, they could have continued to tinker for the playoffs. They just didn't want to be mediocre. They wanted to risk it all and gamble and take a chance that they could be a title contending team. And so far, it hasn't quite paid off, but they're potentially on the cusp. I, I, I'd still say the process worked. Either way, Miami's not going to uh, accept that kind of a policy. They're not going to uh, absorb that or, or you know do that on their own. Um, and, and to TZA's question, considering that if the team is healthy, uh, I, I don't. I have to say personally, I don't think a trade is necessary. Like, I don't. I don't know what you're going to be able to acquire that is going to push the team ceiling. And I, I know a lot of the names that people are considering are three and D players. I mentioned Robert Covington, Andre Iguodala is a name that's been out there. Jay Crowder is a name that, that has been linked. His shooting's a little bit off, but I, I think I've always been a big fan of Crowder's and the fact that he's been able to excel past a, a relatively good contract. You know, he struggled in Cleveland, then he did well in Utah, uh, then he was traded to Memphis this past year, and it's kind of hard to find a role there when you're pivoting uh, to a team led by John Morant, and, and Crowder doesn't have the same kind of role he, he expected to have in Utah. But either way, uh, I, I don't I don't know that any of those names really pushes the team's ceiling significantly. And even if you're looking to a quote-unquote star, I would say Drew Holiday is a borderline star at that, and I love his defense, I love his two-way impact, but I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to raise the bar for this team that much. If you look at what the team has done, and I mean the Heat over the last you know, 40-some-odd games of the season, they've relied on their depth. When Justice went down, uh, they needed somebody to step up. When Jimmy was out, they needed Justice to step up. When Goran was out, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we're starting to see a shift where players are out of the doghouse, where some players are in out and out of the lineup because of overall health issues. But you can rely on the depth of you know, Kelly Olenek, James Johnson, Dion Waiters, etc. We don't even have, potentially, our best perimeter defender in the lineup. You know, Justice Winslow still has some game left. You know, he still has the ability to contribute at a high level. I don't think he's being sat out because of a potential trade in the works or anything like that. I think he's really uh, just going through some injury. And, and again, Miami's winning a, a number of games here. It's not like they're struggling and they need him back immediately. There's no need to force him back onto the floor and further risk aggravating a back injury that could impact him for the rest of his career and his life. So there's no real reason to bring him back any anytime soon. But overall, I, I think when you look at this team's depth, I, you know, I, I still think that everybody here can contribute. I think Spolster needs to be a little bit more flexible with his rotations. Understand that there are certain players and certain mismatches that dictate, should dictate, whether or not somebody plays more minutes or less. And I think that's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a failing of Eric's. I think it's just the reality for him is that he believes that he should be the one dictating terms. He should be the one dictating pace. And that doesn't always necessarily work out. It's like you can have a sense of what your rotation should be. But when a player is struggling or if there's a bad matchup there, then you make a change. And I don't know if he's necessarily willing to do that, if not for injury or foul trouble or something like that. But when you look at this team's roster, I, I still think 
you have a good variety of defensive skills. You have a good variety of offense. You have guys that can shoot, guys that can get to the rim, guys that can pass, guys that can make plays, uh, guys that can defend the perimeter. If there's one spot that's probably most lacking, it's the lack of interior defense. And I don't know that there's a big man out on the market that's going to provide that, nor is that necessarily the kind of roster change you want to make. If you're going to get a shot-protecting big, you know, what are you going to give up in exchange? And, and there aren't a lot. Rim protection is not necessarily the impactful uh, you know, thing that it was in the past because so many teams shoot from the perimeter. Now I think that's what you're starting to see, especially with Miami's lineup and roster. That's why they incorporate the, rock, the zone defense so much. And they used it against Orlando, and it was able to shake them, uh, a team that yeah, has some shooters from the perimeter. Vucevic and, and uh, Fournier in particular can shoot from, from outside. And uh, and Miami's zone defense really threw them off a little bit. And, yeah, you're willing to give up that mid-range shot. And uh, most teams don't really look for the mid-range. And that's why it's, it works out to, the, to Miami's benefit. Because while they, they limit the shots from the perimeter, they give up those shots in the interior a little bit. Most teams don't really look to do the, take those shots anyway. So it works out pretty well. So if you look at this roster, you look at their depth, the fact that everybody can't contribute a high level, I just don't know that there's a move right now to be made. I really don't think so. I, we, I was discussing it with somebody else during the game, and I know the rationale as well. We can contend. We can make a, a, a push for Drew Holiday. And that's really the only name that I hear available or as far as like a, a bigger name is concerned. And I, I mean, as much as Drew is a fine player, his perimeter defense is great, and, and I liked his ability to score as well. I just don't know that he's going to take this team from a 50-win team to a 51-team win team. And, and you know, is he going to be is he going to be what pushes Miami to the next level in the playoffs? Is he going to be able to push them past the Philadelphia or Milwaukee? Uh, you like his ability to guard perimeter scores, but I, th- I think you still have a very good perimeter defender in, in Justice Winslow, a guy who can do just as much defensively as as what Drew Holiday can do. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessary. I don't get a sense that Miami is going to make a trade because they don't have many options available to them. And I don't think you want to give up either a draft pick or any young player in order to make a push for this year because it just doesn't seem like... I think you have enough right now. If, if you're going to contend, you have enough on this roster currently, so there's no need for you to make any kind of further acquisition. A 3D player... A 3 and D player... Or a, a smaller name star like Holiday isn't necessarily going to make you that much more of a title lock anytime soon. So I just don't see that a player, you know, I don't see a trade in the works here, to be honest with you. I'll get into the player and the stat of the game next. You're listening to Locked On Heat. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Heat is a great way for your local businesses to reach passionate fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Heat fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to the number 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to the number 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you.
Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. Player of the game, obviously, I think that's pretty clear that it is Bam Adebayo, uh, 2010-10, triple-double. A great performance from him, one where he really stretched the floor. And that's basically where I think that was the most impact for Adebayo was, you know, he's providing that same kind of wide range of skills that he has throughout the season. But he was willing to take Vucevic out onto the perimeter. He shot a three-point attempt, which he missed, unfortunately. But he also took an additional five shots from outside the painted area. So he was three of six from outside the painted area. Three of seven if you count one line that was, one shot that was exactly at the free throw line. So, you know. Either way, it just stretches the floor so much. Like with his shot ability, if he's able to knock that down consistently, and it's something he's talked about on and off throughout the season, and we just haven't seen it very consistently from him, he's so much more dangerous. Like remember, defenses started to sag off on Adebayo at the start of the season because his passing was so dangerous. But now if all of a sudden he's able to knock down that perimeter shot confidently and comfortably, he is so much more effective and he can do so much more from, from the perimeter and that will, you know, switch things up and allow him to get to the rim much more easily. But, you know, if, if you if play him a little tightly, he has the size and speed and strength to be able to get past almost any defender. And so it's a, a pick-your-poison kind of thing, and it works out so well in Miami's favor because you do have to contend with his, his passing ability. You do have to contend with that speed and ability to get to the rim. And he makes things so easy for others as well. And, you know, the, the it's been this symbiotic relationship all season where the shooting, the perimeter shooting for Miami has really helped Adebayo consistently, but his ability to pass has really made things so much you know, more easy and fluid for perimeter shooters like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, and so it's worked out very well. But there's always been that one glaring weakness in his game, his inability to shoot from the perimeter, and, and if he's able to do so consistently as he was on Monday night against the Magic, then he should be well even more of a lock for the All-Star game, to be honest with you. Um... The scapegoat of the game, unfortunately, you have to you hate to pin it on anybody. Um, you know, Dion De- Waiters did not play very effectively in his six minutes of play. It wasn't anything glaring, and I think Eric Spolster just wasn't going to give him a lot of minutes anyway because you, you needed something a little bit more. Dion was aggressive; he was you know looking to take his shots. He we went one of three from the field, finished with just three points. He did hit a good three pointer there, and you know. He had two rebounds, two assists, an overall record, an overall rating of minus one for his plus minus. Uh, it's Dion, and he's still rounding into form there. And I, I don't know that you can expect too much um, from him this season. You know, he's still going to kind of work out a little bit over the next few weeks, and maybe he can take advantage of the All Star break and and, and really kind of get into shape there and start to continue to do the work that he's done behind the scenes because Eric Spolster continued to talk about the kind of work that Dion's done and everything else. And the interview that I played on Monday's podcast, which you should definitely listen to if you have not already, uh, really shows that he's committed to, to making an impact. And I, I think that, you know, the fact that he's played in two consecutive games is definitely something that he should take as a positive sign and that uh, maybe there's a little bit of a chance to restore some faith from Eric Spolster there. Stat of the game, not particularly of the game, but I wanted to kind of get into Adebayo's mid-range shooting a little bit because it has not been uh, particularly great, as I mentioned before. He is uh, one of eleven from three-point range. Um, not not good. 
uh, he is just 6 of 28 overall from mid-range, uh, from what NBA.com lists as 15 to 19 foot range, 21.4%. So he has been unwilling to take the shot. If Monday's game is any indication, uh, he can take the shot. And again, I think even his willingness to take it probably helps because it'll restore the confidence that he needs in order to take it more confidently. I mean, that's just a reality. If he's going to take the shot, he can do so, let it fly, not think too much because we've seen from him in the past where he can get a little caught up and overthink things a little bit. But if he just takes that shot, uh, defenses will have to recognize that that's a potential offensive you know, part of his offensive repertoire there and I think they'll have to match up accordingly so uh, eventually that shot will come around I do have faith there's nothing wrong in his, sh- in his shot form uh, there's no hitch there it's fluid enough he just doesn't take it with confidence and that's part of the problem is that he doesn't step into the shot and, and just let it fly and if he's able to do so then that'll work out a little bit better for Miami's offense in general I, I mean and for Adebayo who continues to show that he's an incredible elite level player in this NBA uh you know, no one, I don't think anybody projected that Adebayo would be the star this season that he's become um, because we weren't sure how he was going to accept the responsibility of starting, but he certainly lived up to that and much, much more. The Heat faced the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night. I'll try to have a recap of that game up afterwards, but that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. You can always reach out to me using the hashtag AskElaHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat. And thank you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Wrap it up,